Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. Welcome back to Crossing Broad FC. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by the lovely, the illustrious, and a very boastful Phil Kaidel. You can find him on Twitter at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Phil, match day three is now over. We can finally take a look at what is a very unbalanced bracket going forward in the rest of this tournament. Uh, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that you have your classic Phil Kaidel hot takes on, and I can't wait to... Uh, Pop those open and uh, uncork that bottle as we uh, get prepared here. And I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm about to be served up a, a fine dish of humble pie. So, uh, I guess without further ado, let's get into it. Well, like Schadenfreude. Uh, but wow. while we're at it, yeah, we went over wow. Groups A and B the last time we were together. Um, Spain is going to play Russia in the next round. That's a buy, effectively. I know Russia's home, but uh, I don't see any way Spain loses that match to Russia. Uruguay gets Portugal, and of course... Your rooting interest in this tournament now has shifted, and we'll get into reasons why uh, in a few moments, I'm sure. But now I imagine you are all CR7 all the time at this point. And, of course, Portugal gets Uruguay. You better hope for a big performance from your boy, because otherwise all your rooting interests will just fade into the sunset. So I know that we kind of went over Group A and B already. Um, let's, I, I guess, just like a little bit of analysis on this really quick. So Uruguay obviously skated through their group stage. They won all three matches uh, rather convincingly. And, uh, you know, on the other side, Spain gets what is clearly the much easier draw, at least when you look at the brackets as a, as a whole. And I, I guess let's, let's kind of talk about that really quick. So on one side of the bracket, you've got Uruguay. Portugal, France, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Japan. On the other, you've got Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Colombia, England. I think just about anybody would say that the left side of the bracket, the one that starts with Uruguay and Portugal, France, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Japan, I think that's the tougher side in all of this. Um, realistically, on the other side, there is a, a very interesting quarterfinal matchup that can happen between like Spain and Croatia. And outside of that, I think whoever wins that match ends up going on to uh, represent, represent that side of the bracket uh, in the World Cup final. But uh, if, if I'm looking at this realistically, Portugal uh, should not stand much of a chance. Although stranger things have happened in this tournament and you know in World Cups in the past, um, it is tantalizing to think about the fact that if Portugal is able to pull an upset and Argentina is able to pull an upset over France, you would have a uh, you know a quarterfinal clash between the two best players in the world in Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And there's something really interesting about that. I don't know if we'll see it. It's entirely possible that neither of those guys will be able to elevate their teams and get them through to the corners. But the uh, the possibility there is uh, is delicious, to say the least. Well, and I will say this. Your man, Ronaldo, has a much better chance of carrying Portugal uh, past Uruguay than Messi does of carrying those stiffs he plays with past France. Argentina needed every bit of energy, luck, guile, you name it, uh, to get through here. And they needed a break uh, within the group, just to even have the chance to uh, get out of the group stage in the knockout round. So no, I, I don't see Argentina doing anything against France other than probably losing 3-1. And again, another press conference coming where Messi says the shirt's too heavy. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and again, this isn't going to be. A, I don't want this to become a, a bash any single player thing, and and that's not my intent now. Um, when I look at this Uruguay squad, there were initial questions I think that we had after match day one about you know why is it that they're not putting more in the back of the net, and ultimately for a team that I I think has as much talent as Uruguay does, the fact that they only scored five goals in the group stage is alarming um, to say the least, but. You know, you look at it, they, they beat Russia, they beat Saudi Arabia, they beat Egypt. Now, in fairness, I think we went into this group saying that it was probably the weakest group overall. Russia definitely surprised uh, quite a bit. But Egypt without Mo Salah was really not much of a contest. Saudi Arabia never really belonged in the tournament. You could make the case, I think it can be made, that Uruguay's three wins, while deserved, uh, perhaps are not the most... Um, the I don't know the most dominant and they're also not like they were against difficult opponents they weren't in a group that you know had two or three um, consistent performers at the world cup level or at, at the world stage so uh, I don't want to say that they're a hollow three wins but I think probably more so than what you would see in other groups uh, I, I think they were I just wish Mo Salah had revealed that he was essentially in a cold war with his own national soccer federation before this tournament started because uh, I picked Egypt I think you did too to get out of this group but his performances and Egypt's performances overall uh, suggested and mirrored the problems that were clearly going on off the pitch uh, not just with Salah but with the Egyptian national team and I don't know if you read about this but the Chechnya that's correct yeah that's right There, there were political and again we don't go political on this show but you can imagine if you're Mohamed Salah, and, and again, the weight of a nation is on your shoulders, and you're trying to carry Egypt out of this group stage. And, you know, Uruguay's probably got their ticket punched, so you just have to find a way past Saudi Arabia and Russia, which really shouldn't be that much of a problem. And instead of being given the proper chance to train and to bring your side together to make that run, you're being paraded around like some sort of mascot by your federation. Yep. Um, and again, you can do the research offline uh, or online, it should say, if you're listening now. But yes, basically, uh, Salah especially was a glorified mascot, trinket, mascot or trinket, however you want to say it. And that could not have helped his preparation. It probably actively hurt his preparation. Yep. Um, before we, I guess, preview more of what the knockout stage is going to look like, let's just really quick go through a, a recap of the remaining groups. So France drew with Denmark. Uh, in the first scoreless match of the World Cup, the first and only, uh, I think first and only, or at least at the po- at that point, I think it was the 36th match that had been played. Um, it was a, a, a nil-nil draw. Uh, the first to that point um, didn't didn't necessarily surprise us. I didn't think that either team were really going to go above and beyond to try to uh, crack one home. Neither team was obviously successful uh, in getting a breakthrough. And Peru beat Australia 2-0. Um, that was a, a well, match not just that, that Peru Peru jumped out one nothing pretty early. They scored in I believe it's the 18th minute, and so once Denmark and France saw that Peru was leading Australia, Peru coming into that match with no points, uh, yep. the Danes and the French were going to be through unless the Australians did something remarkable. And then yep. when Peru scored again in the second half, it was time to down tools. Yep. So um, it's uh, I, I you know. The, this came up a couple times, and it'll uh, be in a, a couple groups from now. But teams that had nothing to play for that end up, you know, winning their final match, and and you know, ultimately, in a way, kind of decided the two teams that go through. I mean, you're right. Like if Australia had won, and uh, Denmark had lost, then I think Australia, uh, by virtue of points, would have 
uh, I think they would have been close. I think goal differential might have been an issue for them, but they could have at least challenged uh, to go through as the uh, the second seeded team in Group C. As we move on to uh, Group D, one of I think the most enjoyable groups to watch and i think as we were prepping for the world cup as a whole we said the group d was going to be a group that was going to be worth watching and we expected that some of the matchups especially you know knowing that iceland had been the darling from four years ago they were a long team they i'm trying to think it was like eight guys i think that they featured in a starting lineup that were six foot three or, or taller um this nigerian squad that kind of came out of nowhere in in a way um looked looked good at certain points in this tournament certainly um you know held their own for the most part argentina had been a dumpster fire for the most part and uh, croatia now you want to talk about a, a team that wins all three of their matches and they're not hollow wins croatia to me has looked like i would say arguably I, I don't even know if it's much of an argument arguably the strongest team in this world cup they've been dominant in the midfield and they were able to exploit that obviously against argentina they were able to uh overcome a bunker mentality that Iceland had played with, and they were able to stop Ni- the uh, Nigerian counterattack. And they did a great job in coming out on top of Group D, and, and they did it very convincingly. Only allowed one goal, scored seven. They're nice the, only, the only team in this group that had a positive goal difference, and it was six. Yep. Uh, Argentina's goal difference was negative two. Nigeria's was negative one. Iceland's was negative three. That was the Icelandic side getting one point in this group is a bit of a surprise i thought they would do better than this but i agree with you nigeria showed very well i just cannot believe that the forces conspired and and things you can't even believe are happening allowed argentina who had one stinking point after two matches and looked dead and laying by the side of the road ready to be thrown in the scrap heap and they get a lifeline you know croatia in a match they don't need beats iceland and now it's just if Argentina can beat Nigeria, they're through and they do it. And they do it with a, a late goal. Um, I just, I am sure FIFA's thrilled that they get at least one more performance from Lionel Messi in this tournament. But I still can't believe that it went down this way. I didn't think before these matches started there was any chance that Argentina would still be playing after the final match day. Yeah, I mean, and, and for cynically as I viewed them, um, I think it's it's fair to say that in in a lot of years, the way that they played, they really didn't deserve to go through. But, you know, it, it really took uh, Lionel Messi essentially taking over as manager for them to get the personnel on the field that, uh, for the most part, I think the final, uh, the final lineup that they had rolled out after substitutions had been made is a lineup that was closer to what I had kind of hoped that they would roll out and I thought would have been the most beneficial. One of the best moments was the fact that it was captured on uh, on camera where the manager, Sampioli, uh, reached out to uh, to Messi. I think it was in, was it in game two? I'm trying to remember which, which match it was. No, maybe it was match three, uh, where he said, um, lo pongo a, a Kuhn. And he was asking Messi, should I put Aguero on the field? And uh, yeah, I guess yeah, that had to be match day two because Aguero didn't factor into the final game. But what an odd set of circumstances we knew that after match day two there had been plenty of rumors that Sampioli might have even been fired by the federation that the the, uh, inmates were running the asylum essentially that the the players were trying to dictate the lineups that they have no trust in their manager it it was uh it was strange and you know we've mentioned American fiasco on here but it it really did kind of feel like uh the way that the uh, men's national team the U.S. men's national team in the 98 World Cup kind of went out in public against um was a Steve Stamson 
and it's not like the Argentine players were out in public saying it, but the leaks that came out, you know, obviously had to come from the players. Uh, Sampioli really has not inspired any kind of confidence, and I think the Argentine Federation is probably just hesitant to replace him because they uh, they just thought that the optics of it would be even worse than them, you know, being eliminated. So Argentina manages to, to do it. It's amazing what happens when you have, you know, guys that have performed at the highest level of the Champions League, and, you know, Angel Di Maria comes in, looks good. Gonzalo Higuain holds up play well in order for overlapping runs to occur. Um, eventually, Paulo Dybala even made it into the match. I mean, they looked like a totally different squad uh, at various points in this match. And uh, it's a lineup. Higuain needs to be starting for this team. Just a quick aside, what an awful thing for the manager to do to Messi, right? So if the manager is asking uh, Messi, should I bring Aguero on? Well, where does that leave Messi? <laughs> if he says, yeah, bring him on, and Aguero doesn't do anything, then the manager can be like, well, I, I asked the captain, and he said, bring the guy on, and so you know, what am I supposed to do? And if Messi says, no, leave him on the bench, well, Aguero is still one of the most notable Argentine strikers of the last, what, 20 years, 25 yeah. years? And it's all going to be about, here's Messi again, he wants to run everything, he thinks he's bigger than the Argentine national team, et cetera, and so forth. So, I mean, if I'm Messi and I get that question from that manager, I, I want to turn my back on him and not answer him at all. Yeah, it's fair. Um, I, I I don't know. As we kind of look forward to this, and I guess when we get to the preview, I, th- I think we have a, a lineup that I think would benefit the Argentine team as they uh, get ready for their next matchup, but we'll come back to that in a minute. You want to manage Argentina, which is fine. I, I, I think you should probably submit an application. You've got like like 36 hours between now and this uh group of 16 match so Look, try I'd, to make I'd, that happen yeah I'd probably just uh you know let Messi set the lineup I mean if that's all Sampioli has to do I mean I, I can't possibly be any worse right uh it's you not, are literally a, a, a roll the ball out manager yep there you go um so uh group E Brazil goes through uh have two wins in the group Switzerland manages to uh uh hold off Serbia and Costa Rica goes home with uh, a single solitary point I'm trying to remember back to our initial show and this is shame on me for not writing it down I believe you had Costa Rica and Brazil going through, and I think I might have had Brazil and Switzerland. I don't think either of us picked Serbia. Um, this group was no. was strange, I guess, to say the, to to put it lightly. Um, a little bit more competitive, I guess, from from two and three in the group in Switzerland and Serbia, but not a, a very entertaining group to watch. I didn't think Switzerland had the want to to get out of this group, and I was proven wrong about that because they are going through. Uh, I also thought Serbia had a little bit more than they showed. Uh, but I will say this, uh, my pick to win the tournament was Brazil with Belgium as part of an entry because as we know and we will talk about shortly, Brazil and Belgium are on a collision course on their side of the bracket. And so uh, I feel strongly that one of those two teams will make it out of that side. Um, but in any event, yeah, I didn't. I, I picked Costa Rica because I thought they were going to carry some momentum from the last time they were there. That didn't happen. Uh, and I did not believe in Switzerland, although I really love Jordan Shakiri. So you'd think I might have just backed him, but I still am not that like impressed or overwhelmed or thrilled with Switzerland's style of play or, or what they bring. Look, it was a workmanlike, professional job by them to get out of this group, but I'm not f- favoring them to do much uh, once we get to the knockout round. I agree. Um, not a whole lot happened in uh, Group F, so we'll just move on to uh, to Group G now. With, uh, I guess we have to go back to Group F, don't we? Group F. I guess we do. As in failure. Group, group as in what the F happened. 
Um, all right. So what's failure in German, Russ? I mean, you uh, you know some I'm, German, as look, I understand I'm, it. Uh, what? I'm, how do you on. translate listen, failure in German? Listen, hold on a second. I think you could spell failure in German as um, uh, M U L L E R Müller. I think you, you have a lot it, of nominees you there. Spell it yeah. as, uh, as uh, O Z I L Ozil. I think uh, there's a lot of ways to go with this one. Um, so I guess you know let let's get this out of the way. Um, it it really was an Ausfall. It was a, a a total failure by the German national team. And at no point in this tournament did it ever feel like that dominant German side that I had expected to see. It didn't look like that dominant German side that has been feared. Uh, from people who follow the international game who have been saying that Germany probably has the deepest youth system leading up to the uh, to the senior squad. Remember, I think it was in the Euro tournament. I, I want to say it was the last Euros. The Germans sent, you know, most of their U22 team as the representatives in that tournament. And, you know, they nearly won it. And it really is a shock. It's a total shock to the system. Uh, it's a good thing that I don't wager a copious amounts of money i don't wager anything and i i guess in this case it was a good thing i didn't the the fact that i guess in retrospect looking at how germany played in this tournament they started their first match against mexico and i think in a lot of ways germany expected that that mexico was going to be a pushover i don't think anybody really believed in this mexican team and i think they got punched in the mouth they got punched in the mouth in, in the counterattack in that first match and i don't think that uh, Yogi Lowe did a good enough job of, you know, switching up the personnel in the way that he needed to, to salvage a point in that game. And obviously, when it came down to it, that's the thing that ultimately determined Germany's fate. I mean, you win against Sweden, uh, you you steal three points away on a, uh, I wouldn't say it was a questionable call in the second match, but it was a, a very fortuitous call. And, you know, you're one Tony Kroos Halwitzer away from you know, being eliminated in match day two. But the fact that in match day three, all you had to do was go out and score a single goal against South Korea, score once, bunker down, move on. You couldn't score a single goal on South Korea. You that must have really chapped your high. You don't, you don't deserve to go through. That There's must have no other way high. to put it. That's my South Korea side who I picked to get out of this group. And boy, we had some fun at my expense in the last show about South Korea and how bereft they were and terrible. And you're right. Your Germans, they just needed to beat the worst team in the group. It wasn't that tall an order to ask for. And not only did they not beat them, they got beat 2 nothing, and it was well, fairly well, convincing. I mean, the second goal, the second goal I think we can, I mean, obviously it counts all the same. But that second goal, you have Manuel Neuer standing at midfield. I. Uh, so I, I, I would yeah, say... Yeah, you have Manuel Neuer staring in our, at midfield because you I haven't mean, scored a goal in 95 minutes. So in our, in our Slack chat, uh, investor Jeff, who doesn't really watch the sport all that much, asked, uh, is, it, is it allowed to go with an empty net? And we were all kind of joking that, like, well, of all the teams that would be most likely to run some kind of an empty net, it would be Neuer because he's a sweeper keeper. Like, he'll come out 35 yards. You can push the entire defense up to midfield and it doesn't matter. Um, the, the way that that game kind of played out, the, the way that South Korea managed to score that goal, the fact that their the first goal that they scored was initially ruled offside, and then it went to VAR, and VAR once again uh, overturned that, and the goal counted. I mean, it was it was pure insanity. Well, and people wanted to see if the second goal was offside, but you can't be offside if the pass starts from your side of the field. Yeah, and if you're in South your own, Korea yep. just dispossessed Germany. 
including Neuer, who really didn't look that comfortable as uh, an outfield player for a guy who prides himself on being a sweeper keeper. He didn't seem to know where to go. Well, I mean, he, and, is, he is coming off a pretty significant injury, and, and it kept him out of you know the vast majority of the second half, at least. And they should have camped season, him. So. They should have camped him on the mid, midfield stripe then. But and look, yeah, woulda, shoulda, coulda. The point is. Um, yeah, the second goal wasn't going to be chalked off or offside because the pass came from uh, basically South Korea's 18. Um, the images and the scenes of the way the South Korean players celebrated this victory was worth it to me, even as much as watching the German players look around at each other looking for like the next bus out of Russia. Um, Which they really took. If, yeah. I don't know if you saw the video, but like right after... They got on a bus, they went straight to the airport, and they were out. Well, and they had to be. And, of course, you know, their manager has already been asked, is, it, is this it for you? And he has, mul- on multiple occasions, already said, look, I'm going to take my time with this. We're going to talk about this calmly and rationally, and we're going to return to it at a time when the emotions are not as raw. Well, he is whistling past the graveyard because I think he's done. See, I, I'm not so sure about that. So in, in uh, reading some of the, the German articles, which is, uh, you know, I guess a, uh, a bit of a, an advantage on my part. It's a little masochistic on your part, too, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean... By the way, that's just in case uh, any of our listeners are listening for the first time. Would you like to remind our listeners who you predicted would win uh, the 2018 World Cup? I already said. I, I said that I thought Germany would do it, and I thought Germany would sweep the group. And I thought that they would, you know, pretty much march their way straight to the final. I, I didn't think that there was going to be uh, any kind of strife whatsoever. And it, I was I was very wrong on it. And, um, you know, when you I think as you kind of look forward and, and, you know, don't forget, Phil, for as much as you want to boast right now, you also said that you didn't think Mexico was going to win a single match in this group stage. And they finished second. And realistically, they uh, they had a chance to finish on top of the group. Oh, we can have that conversation. No, you want. No, they, no, they lost three nothing in their that's, last match. That's, that's going to be that's going to be petty. I don't want to go petty here. Mexico so, uh, showed who they were in their third. I mean, uh, Mexico had their they group had stage match. I mean, they they really were in a position where they could have won this with a with a draw. And instead, they fall to Sweden in one of the most embarrassing third matches I think we've ever seen. And it's, you know, the only way that it, it's uh, kind of negated and how embarrassing it is is the fact that, you know, Germany went out and lost 2-0 to South Korea and, and you know, put themselves in their own coffin and made sure to uh, put some contact cement in there. And uh, it, was, it was just bad. I mean, it, Mexico it was a, it was, were Mexico were who I thought they were. They just showed yeah, themselves two matches later than I thought they would. They are a team that buckles under pressure. They are a team that points fingers at each other. They are a team that falls apart when things go bad. They just happened to catch Germany on the right day, which is great for them. Uh, I love that I have picked uh, Brazil to win this tournament and that Brazil gets Mexico in the next round. That's so we'll a come beautiful back. thing. We'll come back. Uh, you know, real quick before we move out of this group, um, really quick, Yogi Lowe, right? So the, the German media has been a little bit back and forth on him. And I, th- I think in America, it's so simple to just say fire the manager. If you follow, you know, English soccer, uh, in the EPL, the first result or the first thought immediately, even after you've just, you know, perhaps won the EPL, the next season, if you get off to a bad start, it's fire the manager, fire the manager. In the U.S., it's fire the coach immediately. And there's this this kind of moment in the German media, at least, where, you know, if you if you check out Deutsche Welle, if you can read German for that kind of stuff, you get a very different idea. Even their English articles that they've translated, um, I think, give you a little bit more of a an idea of what the feeling on the ground is. And it's 
look, some of the selections that he made, leaving Sané off the, the roster, you know, very much proved to be a mistake. And as much as it is a disappointment and as bad as this looks for the Germans to have gotten knocked out in the group stage for the first time, it's um, it, I think it would be a colossal error to make the decision right now to part ways with Yogi Lowe. He's done so much for that program. He's done so much to turn the entire program around. And again, one of the things that the U.S. has struggled with and that the U.S. Soccer Federation is still struggling with, even with Carlos Cordero in, in power now, is the U.S. has no real streamlined system from youth uh, up through academy systems, through the professional leagues, and up to the, the national team. Germany has that. They've got that in spades. And it's something that Lowe has, to some extent, overseen over this these last couple of cycles. So I think it would be stupid for them to part ways now. If he decides after a few months that, you know what, I, I embarrassed our, our nation and I need to step down, then fine. Like, I think that should be his decision. And ultimately, I don't really know who Germany would go for uh, or would hire in his place that would do a better job. I mean, Jurgen Klopp would be a name that I think would be attractive and would be interesting. But why would Klopp want to leave Liverpool? I mean, unless there really is some kind of nationalistic pride in, you know, taking over that, that position. And maybe there is. I don't know. Maybe if, if uh, we're a couple years down the line and Lowe steps down and... Uh, yeah, that's and, more likely. And, Kl- and Klopp is, you know, a, a year or two out from the next World Cup. He's found some success with Liverpool or, you know, the flip side happens and, you know, he finds himself in a lot of pressure at Liverpool. Like, maybe then he does consider it. But, you know, sh- shy of that. I don't think you're going to find a better manager for this team. So I, I don't think that they should part ways. Um, the other thing is... Yeah, but they look like they quit on him. I See, I, d- I disagree with that. I just don't think they ever were in, in good form. I think a lot of it was that the players took their opposition too lightly. I don't know what happened in that. Isn't that match. the manager's fault? No, not... Well, I don't know. I, I think part of it, you know, look at the guys who are considered the leaders on that team. Like, we talked about the fact that this year in the Bundesliga, Thomas Müller was not the same kind of dominant player that we had grown accustomed to seeing. Mesut Ozil is a guy that people wanted to see on, on, the, uh, on the pitch. But Ozil is also a guy that's faced plenty of criticism at Arsenal and previously at Real Madrid for, you know, kind of loafing around. Uh, Marco Royce was installed... Kind of. in, I mean, like, Marco <laughs> Royce was, uh, um, was installed to be you know, an offensive spark plug, and it never really seemed to happen. Sammy Kadira was in the first matchup in a in a game that, you know, he gets in, he's he's in there to play as a defensive or as a holding midfielder, and, you know, they get killed on the counterattack against Mexico. So I don't, I don't know. While I, we're here, I, how is Hummels shanking free headers from the middle of the box? He missed three. I mean, that's, again, that's the difference in the, in the match. He's got three headers. Two of them were wide open. Uh, only one of them grazes the crossbar. So it it was just it, it felt like it was a team that had plenty of talent and just they played the three worst matches I think I've ever seen them play. And again, their one amazing Tony Kroos goal in that second match away from being knocked out after match day two. It is the biggest surprise, the biggest shock that I've seen in this World Cup and honestly that I think I've seen in the last couple of cycles. Um, we got to give credit where, where it's due. Sweden was a team that when we were prepping for this World Cup, we said, how are they going to be able to be successful? How are they going to score without Zlatan? And man, does it look like a good decision to leave Zlatan off this roster? They play a very cohesive style and they're playing for one another. And in all the ways that Germany was unable to finish, Sweden have been, so, you know, I would say they've been clinical and they've they've been professional. It's I agree uh, with you. Very and I'll impressive. add, I'll add that Mr. Ibrahimovic, Zlatan, is not covering himself in any kind of glory stateside these days. Uh, he is a distraction right now. 
it's not going very well with his MLS club. He's not playing the minutes that anybody thought he was going to play. Uh, he's bringing the wrong attention to himself, the wrong kind of attention to himself. So, yes, uh, the Sweden national team probably made a very wise choice to thank him for his service and send him on his way. It's incredible. Uh, let's go to Group G. Belgium and England play this very stupid match, and I'm I'm really upset about it. They both had the potential to go through as the number one team in their group, and Belgium rolls out a lineup that only featured two starters from match day two and uh, in Boyata and Courtois. Other than those two, it was an entirely new lineup. And when you talk about what can you learn from a match, what can you learn going forward, I mean, even look at, at England's uh, lineup. You've got Vardy out there with Rashford, Loftus-Cheek, Delph, Rose, Alexander-Arnold, Dyer, Stones. Stones played in the, uh, I believe, in the first two matches. Cahill, Jones. He scored. And, he actually and, had a brace and, in one of those yeah, matches. And, and Pickford. Like, you're not going to learn a, a single thing about England. You're not going to learn anything about them going forward. And I, I'm just kind of beside myself that it's not like this group was decided. It's not like first and second were determined. It's not like, you know, the, the result was meaningless. I, I just don't know what these teams were thinking. I, well, let's I don't, start, though. Let's start by playing, placing the blame where it belongs on Panama and Tunisia, who were awful, yeah. okay, and who did not push. Both, I think we said in the last show, both of these teams, Belgium and England, had scored eight and conceded two. And, I mean, that's just not World Cup level opposition from Panama or Tunisia. It's not good enough. And so now, yeah, we want to point fingers at England and Belgium, and they're trying to position themselves for their run through the bracket, which, by the way, I think is folly because trying to pick your opponent half the time bites you in the ass anyway because that opponent knows that you picked them, and now they got a reason to take you out as if they didn't already anyway. Yeah. Um, but in this situation, yeah, I mean, this match was a disgrace. Um for these teams to start, you know, imagine if you had bought tickets for this match at a premium because these are two of the best teams in the draw and on that side of the bracket and in this group. And before the group starts, you think, I, this is a match I have to see. I must be there. And then when you get there, you see the 11s and you just kind of like, well, I'm going to set my money on fire. What did I do? I just yep. leave at halftime. It's disgusting. And by the way, speaking of disgusting, remember that your United States men's national team, led by Michael Bradley and Josie freaking Altidore, who were unable to beat Trinidad and Tobago, were beaten in qualification, were passed in qualification by Panama, who in this World Cup not only didn't win a match, didn't draw in a match, they scored two total goals. They allowed 11. 11 goals, ladies and gentlemen. 11. That is the most allowed in this World Cup. As a matter of fact... The next uh, worst team, I believe, gave up seven goals in this World Cup. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Tunisia. Oh, my God. Tunisia did with eight in the same group. So, again, you want to talk about a team that, you know, got three wins, swept the group in Belgium. This was this was a very hollow three wins. You you crushed a terrible Panama team. You, cru- you beat a terrible Tunisia team. And ultimately, on your third match day in what should have been an interesting match and would have been if it had been on match day one or even match day two, you go out and your scrubs beat England's scrubs. Congratulations, Belgium. We've learned nothing about you. Do you feel better? That's, yeah, I think I do. A little bit. Let's go to Group H. You're going to be very sorry when they beat Japan 4-1. <laughs> Well, that's going to be fun. I mean, like, I don't, I, I, still, I still don't know how good or bad Japan is. So, 
Uh, that's fine. I know they're just, not very good. But Let's I mean, keep honestly, going. Phil, like, what what have we learned about Belgium? Honestly, like they 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 were professional, right? They got the results that you would expect. But again, you you whooped two teams that you can argue should never have been in this World Cup. And again, like it's it's backup 11s practically playing for that final match. I, you know, we saw really good play out of De Bruyne. I think we saw that Lukaku, when he's healthy, can be in good form. I think that they could struggle without him. Yenazai comes on and scores today. Like, that's great. But, you know, they're lucky in a sense that I think Belgium in a matchup with Colombia would have been in a lot more trouble than they will be with Japan. So that gets us to Group H. Colombia come out on top, six points. Japan and Senegal end in a uh, a 4-4 tie in points. But, Phil, explain to the people what happened, because not only did they finish tied on points and on record and on goal differential and goals scored and goals allowed, they got to, what is it, rule number seven, right, in the tiebreaker. That's correct. We foreshadowed this uh, in the last show, but we were talking about what happens if Belgium and England end up in a flat-footed tie, which, by the way, could have happened today theoretically, if they had had a nil-nil draw. But um, yeah, instead, it's poor Senegal who become the first national side in the history of the World Cup to get eliminated from the World Cup on this ridiculous, absurd, and stupid tiebreaker that FIFA seems to have come up with during an opium binge, where the team, when all those other factors are equal, the team that played, quote-unquote, cleaner football over the course of the tournament, i.e. did not commit as many bookable fouls, be they first yellow cards, second yellow cards that lead to red, red cards, straight red, yellow, yellow penalties given yellow, up. Yellow and uh, straight red. Right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, the, all these things I mean, are all, in play. And they all have point yeah, they all have point values attached. And so uh, the the team that again plays the cleaner, less uh, foul heavy brand of football in this case japan is the one that's awarded the spot over senegal let me tell you something this is a damn disgrace i mean (laughs) senegal is first of all in my opinion they're a better team but putting that aside okay like you know how you end up with yellow cards and occasionally red cards playing aggressively so now we are going to reward teams that play passively teams that don't get stuck in trying to win 50 50 balls Teams that basically hang back around their 18 and absorb pressure and maybe strike on the counter once in a while instead of a team like Senegal that really took it to Colombia for large stretches of this match today and just as easily could have gotten a draw or a win against Colombia. And instead now they're out of the tournament because of this ridiculous tiebreaker. Look, I'm tired of complaining about FIFA. You're tired of complaining about FIFA. It's like complaining about the weather. Everybody hates it, but nobody does anything about it. But... I mean, Senegal has every right to be you know, feeling hard done by, and I can almost guarantee you, you'll see a story in the news in the next four to five to six days that the Senegal Football Federation, whatever it's called, is lodging some protest or asking for some review because this is a terrible rule and it rewards the it wrong type of play. No, you're totally right, and it's, it's, it's a disgrace, and it's the first time since 1982 that no African teams are going to go through to the knockout stage. And, you know... I think in World Cups past, maybe you could make the case that some of the African teams didn't look like they necessarily belonged. Um, in this case, I thought Nigeria had played really well, and I thought that, S- that Senegal had played well enough to go through. And kind of to your point, you know, Senegal goes out and plays a uh, very energetic style. They go out and play a brand of, of soccer that I think is more aesthetically pleasing 
they go out and they play a um, a style that is uh, is attack oriented in a lot of ways is is lethal on the counter. I thought that Nigeria and they've you know, speed to burn. Play. They're fun yeah. to watch. This is what you want to see. And instead of getting to see them, we're going to go out and watch a Japanese team that legitimately in this last matchup against Poland walked around the pitch. They walked around the field for like sixty minutes because Poland didn't give a damn and they wanted to go home. So like it, it, this is. It's everything that's wrong with soccer, and it's a shame because if if something goes slightly different, uh, you know, you look at, at match day three, Japan ends up getting one yellow card in their match. Senegal gets one yellow card in their match. It's a difference of five total yellow cards for Senegal and three total yellow cards for Japan. And, uh, you know, kind of to your point, I mean, all these things are subjective, too. I mean, this this also comes down to the official. It comes down to the mood around the game. You know, is this, you know, did Senegal... The officials receive, of all three matches that both so, these teams play. What's that? The officials for each of the matches that these teams play. In other words, they play each other once within the group, yep. but then they play the other two members of the group in other matches. They're officiated by other men. Yep. And it just depends on what official they draw in these other matches that leads to the accrual of these cards and points that puts Senegal out. Yeah, and that's and and I think yeah, that like that's part of the the point too. Like in the first five ten minutes, when a ref is looking to set the tone, if they if they are, you know, card heavy early, they want to set that tone that nothing will be accepted. You know that that <laughs> the fact that that could come back to bite a team like Senegal is just nonsense. And you know, I I guess I, I think that not only does the fair play rule need to be looked at, but then you also have to kind of come up with like, well, what's the better way to to make this thing work, right? Like. If you end oh, up, I have a solution, if, but but no one would want to hear it. Well, but uh, but I'll throw it out there if you let me. Okay, go ahead. So Japan's playing Belgium on um, Monday, July second, yes. mm-hmm. uh, and as we we record, I believe it's Thursday night still. Um, look, I know that players will complain, and I know it's an arduous sport. But does anybody not want to see Senegal and Japan play this a off? Playoff? Yeah, I I agree. I think, and you're telling me you can't you can't move. Belgium's date with whoever survives that playoff. You shouldn't even have to. Three days or two days. Yes, I don't even even think you should have to, Phil, because I think that if if you were not able to separate yourself enough to you know get into that top spot, yeah, that's the price you pay. I get it. Yeah, it's it really is. I mean, Major League Baseball when they do their playoff uh, to lead to the uh, you know whoever gets the the wild card. I, I don't think they shuffle the schedule all that much, right? Like it, it it's I believe within another day or two the well, first I mean, game football, of the GS starts. World football is more arduous than baseball. Yeah, like uh, I get that, but you know I, I think again if you're not able to separate yourself, then it's kind of the price you pay. You're lucky that you're not going to go out to some arbitrary rule. I think not only does that make sense, um, I, I would argue that perhaps, and I'm not saying that this is a fantastic way to end this, but maybe if the two teams that are tied on points. Uh, if it is tied at regulation, or if if you're sitting on the same thing, the match goes to extra time. It goes extra time, two halves, and if it needs to, it goes to a penalty shootout. You get final conclusion in that match, and you know maybe it's not fair, but to me, I think that's a a very simple way to kind of take care of this. You treat it just like you would in the uh, in the Champions League as you're trying to uh, you know move forward to the final. I mean, while we're making ex- suggestions, while we're making suggestions and saying arbitrary things, let me throw this out. Okay, so. I much prefer seeing Senegal and Japan lace them up and start at 0-0 with 90 minutes on the clock. If people want to complain that those teams are tired, I hear what you say, which is they had three matches when they were fully rested to differentiate themselves, and they didn't do it. So now get out there and bring your best. 
Well, fine. If you're not going to reshuffle the schedule and you're not going to give them more time to recover, give them extra subs. Let them have six subs instead of three. Ooh. I don't care. I just Ooh, want to I see like these that. teams play off. And I think, you know, again, if you asked Sadio Mane right now, and of course it would be very hard to do that because he's a long way away from us, and I doubt he wants to talk to us, especially in the mood he's probably in. <laughs> but if you asked him tomorrow, you said, could you give him 25 minutes in a playoff against Japan? He'd probably say I'd give you 45. Yep. I want to see that, and I don't think – I don't think either Japan or I mean Japan doesn't want to do it obviously under the system because they're through. But if this goofy tiebreaker wasn't in place, neither Japan nor Senegal would balk or blanch at the idea of playing it off. Yep. Um, you know, ultimately it's a shame. You know, Colombia lost Thomas uh, in their match against Senegal, and you know, going forward for doesn't Colum- look good either. Now and and so as we look forward for Colombia. Uh, I think that, you know, this obviously gets us kind of into a situation where you've got to uh, uh, worry a, a, quite a bit about their chances going forward. But, you know, that to me was the opening that Senegal needed uh, in them losing such an important playmaker. And they weren't able to capitalize. So I guess, you know, in, in some way you could also say that Senegal got what they deserved by not being able to take advantage of a Colombia team that was certainly initially rattled by the loss of Hamas. You can't take advantage and, you know, it, it sucks, but... You don't go through. All right, so let's let's move out of the final group, and let's just kind of briefly go through what we think is going to happen in the knockout stage, and then we will record again uh, in a few days. I'm just looking really quick. The last, so the first matches are Saturday, so we're going to go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, two matches each. If you're on East Coast time, that'll be 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. for the matches. Uh, Saturday, we've got uh, at 10 a.m. France and Argentina. And on uh, two o'clock, Uruguay, Portugal. How do you see France and Argentina playing out? I said earlier, I, I don't see Messi being able to drag these bums he's stuck with. Although I will say this: if um, Argentina's manager Sampioli goes full Russ, which is a yeah, dangerous buddy. thing to do, but if he goes full Russ and he throws out the lineup that you have suggested, he throws out with all of the attacking talent that they have all out there at once. Essentially, uh, lighting the entire bag of fireworks on fire in the first five minutes and being willing to go down 3 nothing to France if that's what it comes down to. Um, they have a better chance than if they continue to do the crap that they did in the uh, group stage because they, look, they don't belong in this knockout round, but they're there. And you're wasting the end of Messi's prime as things stand. So I think you have to give him as much help as you can give him and... You have to try and turn it into a shootout because, look, France isn't the most mentally tough team in the world either. And if you get up 2 nothing on France real quickly, they'll start pointing fingers at each other too. Uh, wait till Pogba gets a hold of things if they start losing. How's that going to look? Um, I still think France wins this match, but I agree with you. I, I'm not going to agree with you that Messi should play a more deep-lying role. I think you have him play an attacking role with a lot of help. Yeah, so uh, let me build out Argentina's lineup. So I think what they ran out in the last match is probably okay. I want to make a couple tweaks. So Armani uh, in net was fine. I think he did an okay enough job. Rojo and Otamendi and uh, Taliafico and Mercado, fine. Like, keep that back line. It seemed to work okay. What I want them to go to is more of like a 4-1-2-3. Um, and it's, it's going to – it really is a 4-3-3, but kind of picture a little bit of an, in, an inverted triangle. So if you really are – hellbent on Mascherano being your uh, deep-lying midfielder, which I wouldn't. I, I honestly would consider saying that uh, Benega 
w- did such a good job and build up a play that I would consider benching Mascherano outright uh, and putting in Benega. Let him sit in that role. It's a big call. It is, and I know that it wouldn't go over too well with uh, with the locker room. I'm I'm, I'm sure because mascherano has been such a a stalwart of this uh, Argentine national squad. But ultimately, you need to go through. So who cares? Uh, I put Benega, and in front of Benega, I would I would honestly, and I I again I don't know how this would work out, and maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I would put Messi next to Di Maria uh, in the front of that triangle, and I would send up front Iguain and uh, DiBala. How many players am I at? Uh, Benega, yeah. So then up front, you should be able to figure out a way to get uh, Aguero and DiBala out on the wings, and uh, and Iguain in the center as your hold-up striker. Messi can can uh, you know overlap him. You're able because of the speed on the outside, uh, both in the midfield with Di Maria, and then on the outside uh, up top with Aguero and DiBala. Now I know DiBala is not exactly a guy who uh, tracks back well. But I think with uh, everything on the line and knowing that he's going to be the face of this team going forward and he's definitely felt like he's been slighted in this tournament, I think he's going to have to give it all. Um, I think that that lineup gives them uh, a fighting chance. I think it gives them an ability early on in the match to catch France off guard and maybe put one in the back of the net, start to get some some uh, you know questionable thoughts going in France's mind, and then they come out, strike again early in the second half, and you know there you go. Messi manages to lead his team forward. Will it work? I don't know. Is the potential there for this to become a very ugly 3-0 lead for France in the first, like, 25, 30 minutes? Of course. Yeah, but so what? But, but yeah, you know, it's not like goal differential matters all that much. And if you're going to go out and roll out a lineup like you did in match day one or match day two that, you know, kind of featured a bunch of guys who, honestly, like, you know, the misses of the world and Perez has been, you know, hit or miss. If you want to continue to roll out these guys that you decide – you know, don't necessarily play the biggest minutes or for the biggest clubs, but they're they're Argentine and they they do a really good job in this one specific role. If you want to roll out that, if you're Sampioli, you know, enjoy unemployment in a few days. So, I think they need to go totally attack oriented, and we'll see how this goes. I still expect France to win, but because I want to see that Ronaldo Messi matchup, um, you know, I I think I actually for the first time all tournament will root for Argentina to go through. I will be interested to see how uh, Messi responds after the match. I don't know if you saw the quote, but he said that his team knew they were going to win uh, in match day three. He just didn't know. He didn't think it was going to be as dominant of a performance, I think was his quote, which I thought was a little bit shocking. But, uh, you know, good for him. You know, you got to you gotta go out there with some you gotta confidence. fake it till you make it. You got to fake yeah. it till you make it if you're Messi at this point. Yep. So uh, do, we, do we both pick France, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm taking France. I'd rather see Argentina get through, but me uh, too. But yeah. I don't think there's any way. So I guess we'll uh, we'll see pretty soon. Uh, the next match, uh, we've got Uruguay and Portugal. I think we both expect Uruguay to go through, but again, Messi, Ronaldo, uh, give me all of that. I I don't I don't exactly know um, if there is a way for Portugal to win this. I think it will come down to if they're able to get Ronaldo to the spot, and maybe that's that's how they win this match. Uruguay have been. Um, like I said right off the start, I, I don't think they've been convincing. They definitely won all three matches, and you know they should be commended for that. But you know Uruguay has so much you talent. Know, let me that jump in real fast. You killed Belgium for playing a bunch of pushovers, and you, you, know, you just dumped on Uruguay again for playing uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Look, man, you don't like players on the schedule, first of all. Yeah, I know. I and know. looping back very quickly to the Belgium thing, which is something I want to say a, a few minutes ago. You, if you can have that little dig at Belgium, if you like, as long as you're willing to give the same sl- uh, crap 
to England because yeah. England did the self same goddamn thing. So yeah. you, you can't you can't take it all out on Belgium and take it all out on Uruguay and let England pass because you know if anything England was the worst offender by not showing up today. All right, so we're back to Uruguay. That's fine. Look, man, they yeah. didn't play anybody great in this group, but they're still loaded. They still have a lot yeah, of I mean, talent. And Ronaldo is only Ronaldo five goals is still to show one guy. For it, right? It's only five to show for it through three matches. That's that is the only thing that to me says that Portugal has a shot is that all that attacking talent hasn't added up to, you know, big big score lines. It doesn't mean that it won't going forward. It's just it's maybe Portugal's only shot. When they had to pull it out against Russia, they pulled it out against Russia. And I yeah. think they'll probably do it against Portugal, too. Something about Cavani on Pepe just seems like it's going to be massively unfair. But we'll see. We'll see how this goes. And uh, good old, you know, Sir Chomps a lot, uh, Luis Suarez. We'll see how that goes. Um, so those are the first two matches. We're in agreement. Let's go on to uh, the next day. Uh, oh, no, I lost my. <laughs> so Spain good. and Russia play at there 10 a.m. Thank you. Um, I, I, I said earlier, Russia doesn't belong in this a group of 16 either and i'm probably gonna end up losing my internet for like six weeks for saying that but um the voters. something like that but i mean come on this is as close to a buy as you get in this group stage it's either this or japan and uh yeah spain goes through and it, it could be one of those things where spain's leading two or three nil at halftime and then just you know tic-tac around the entire second half and rush doesn't even see the ball all i can say if you're is if you're a russian supporter get the wadka ready you'll need it by the second half uh, the other match on Sunday, and uh, I know this is now the trendy thing to do, but it was something that I, I kind of felt like uh, after match day two, I, I kind of wanted to push some chips on, and that's Croatia. I think Croatia is going to be uh, my team going forward. I, I like the, the style that they play. Of course, I like Modric a lot. Uh, Rakitic is my favorite Barcelona player. So Perisic is no joke. I mean, this is a good yeah, team. Like watching the way that Croatia is able to control a game through the midfield and get the finishing they need, but uh, you know, interestingly enough, getting so much of that finishing from their midfielders, I think they're just a very enjoyable team to watch. And when you talk about stylistically, you know, a a, a way to play it in a in a way that's interesting to casual fans, I think Croatia is a team that uh, is flashy and is is uh, eye popping. Part of that is their kits, and then you know, the other part of it is just. They play a very nice style. It's it's an enjoyable thing to watch, and they've gotten some dominant results against very good teams in a, a very stacked uh, group. So I don't think they're going to have much of a problem with Denmark. Well, it's hard for me, though, because I like Denmark, and I like Christian Eriksen. Uh, I enjoy Schmeichel's work, but I agree with you. I think this is Croatia. Um, let's move on to Monday. So, wow, wait, we're in, we're in a full agreement on the first four matches. That's not good. Okay, so let's let's have a uh, a bit of. You want to take South Korea again? They're no, not in it anymore. Let's have let's have a little bit of a disagreement about Mexico and Brazil. So M- Mexico is going to win, and here's why. All right, let's hear this. Mexico is going to show up wearing German kits, <laughs> and they're going to play mind games with Brazil. Uh, I'll tell and, you no, what. No, no, Brazil should win this. If Brazil manages to go out, and they get caught up in the final third. And Marcelo, and, and this is kind of the same thing that I said about the Champions League final. Marcelo, by virtue of the way that he plays and the fact that he gets so involved in the attack, leaves that left flank or the offensive right flank for the opposition wide open. And the only chance that I think Mexico has in this match is that they flip Chucky Lozano to the right side. They get Marcelo caught off guard with him up in the offensive third. And Lozano on a counterattack is able to streak his way in and put one in the back of the net. Will it happen? I don't know. But Mexico has proven that they are a counterattacking team. 
they can execute very well at full speed and they've shown i think great composure in finishing at at top speed so i i'm not going to write them off entirely i don't think they're going to win but i could see a way that it could happen there's a couple of things i need to add here first of all marcelo limped off in that third match so they might they may not even have the chance to abuse him because who knows how healthy he is but I would love it if uh, we had the opportunity to play back your cackling at me uh, about Brazil maybe not wanting to win its group so it could duck a matchup with Germany in this round. Germany, what happened? Aren't they supposed to play Germany in this round? Like, if Germany finished second in the group, they'd be playing. Oh, that's right. No, they didn't make it. So it's Mexico. Uh, the, the pick here is, said wasn't going to win a single match in the group stage. I got you. Good yeah, enough. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. listen, after the pole axing they took in their last match, <laughs> uh, I'm not especially worried about my pick of Brazil to go all the way. So yeah. uh, I'll take Brazil in this one in a, in a casual stroll. Uh, let's call it 3-1. All right. Belgium, Japan. I don't even know if it's worth talking about. The only uh, Okay, so let's say the only way that Japan wins this is if Belgium has a cataclysm. Like if they get the stomach flu, maybe then... Maybe then uh, Japan has a shot. I, I will say, though, I think the way that Japan maybe makes this competitive is they catch Belgium off guard, similar to the way that Mexico caught Germany off guard in match day one. Japan gets uh, a goal by like the 12th minute, and they just they just hold in, they bunker, and they do whatever it takes to, uh, to block every shot, let nothing get through to goal. Uh, very similar to the way that South Korea did that against Germany in match day three. I don't think it'll happen, but I think that's the only way that Japan has a shot in this match. Belgium is just simply too talented. They are too star-studded. They are too stacked. They're tanned, rested, and ready. And they played three of the dumbest matches in a group that they just simply uh, barely needed to have a pulse Well, it's just a continuation of itself because now they're playing Japan, who's essentially at the same level. Now, it's all going to come unglued for them when they face Belgium in in, uh, the quarterfinal, but... Hey, for now, it's high times. When Belgium plays Belgium? When Belgium when Bel- plays Brazil? Yeah, yeah. I thought that's what I was trying to say, when Belgium plays that's Brazil. Okay. I hope that's what I said. Well, unless they play themselves. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, final two matches. Sweden, Switzerland. Um, I, I don't think that either of us really believe all that much in Switzerland. They, I think, surprised us a little bit in getting this far. I don't know if Sweden is going to be riding the emotional high of crushing Mexico like they did, and they're going to be smelling themselves, and maybe that is part of... Uh, what could go sideways? I think that of all the matches, this is the closest. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but that, that to me is is the one thing that stands out. I think these two teams are the most evenly matched of any that are going to face off. I agree. And uh, while I don't especially believe in Switzerland, I will take them in this match. Ooh, okay. I will take them in this match. Okay. Uh, final match, Colombia-England. James Rodriguez probably doesn't play, and that means that Colombia does not go through. The uh, I, I've said this every single time about England, so I guess I'll continue this narrative. England has all the pressure in the world riding on them. They got to the knockout stage. They're going into this believing that Hamas will not be playing. If Hamas ends up not playing, they are going to be expected by every pundit in England and across the globe to win this match. And as much as I have said that I don't know if England has the mental fortitude to get through this kind of thing, I think they're proving that they are just too skilled to let mind games uh, be played. And I, I just don't think that the old guard that, you know, had been part of this team for a while and had been part of so many poor performances and underwhelming performances, I just don't think that group is, is um, 
of much consequence now. You've got guys like Harry Kane that are just playing out of their minds. I don't think anybody can physically stay with Kane on the Colombian back line. And that's what this comes down to. Um, Look, in the Premier League, you can do a lot of things to Harry Kane. You can kick him. You can elbow him. You can uh, drag him down by the scruff of the neck. All kinds of stuff goes on. Can't do any of that stuff against him in a World Cup match. FIFA matches are just officiated a little bit differently and you can't take wild chances with him physically in the box because if he goes down it's a penalty you could end up with a red card a lot of things can happen um i think he's unplayable at this level at this point in the tournament and again he's got a lot of help i don't want to sit here and and pat myself on the back too much but i predicted that this england team would rewrite a lot of its recent bad history with this young new group that wasn't carrying all the scars now the problem is if they lose this match it's all new scars for these young guys, and that could set them back 15 years. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think they win this match. Yep. So to recap really quickly, what we are predicting as the quarterfinal matchups are going to be, uh, we're saying it's going to be Uruguay-France, Brazil and Belgium, Spain and Croatia. Uh, we're split between Sweden-Switzerland versus England. If we get our way and if FIFA fixes things in the way that they have uh, <clears throat> never done before, we might see Messi versus Ronaldo in that Portugal-Argentina matchup, which would be fantastic. We would still want to see, I think, Brazil and Belgium. That is a, a battle of titans. Spain versus Croatia could end up being as good or even better than the match that we saw between Spain and Portugal to lead off the tournament. The I think the entire bottom right of the bracket is pretty inconsequential. It's something that like England should definitely be getting themselves by talent through to the semifinals, and that shouldn't be close. If an upset is pulled, if Colombia is able to knock out England, well, then maybe the parity that exists in that section uh, really makes that a must-watch. But other than that, I I think we're going to end up with uh, three really strong teams in the semifinals, um, and I I don't really foresee there being much of an issue. But again, crazier things have happened in this tournament. We have seen Titans go down and get knocked out in the group stage. We have seen plenty of teams with stars. Teutonic Titans, even. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we've seen, you know, stars who came into this tournament with the weight of the world on their so- shoulders not perform and then uh, manage in the final day when everything was on the line, manage to lift their teams to new heights. We'll see. Uh, it, I think ultimately for the game and for, you know, whatever Fox is hoping for with uh, with ratings and everything, I think Fox has to hope that Portugal and, and Argentina go through so that they can continue to pump out uh, Ronaldo or Messi, and they'll know that they'll be able to to promote one of those guys through at least the semifinals. But outside of that, it, you know, uh, listening to I think it was Richard Deitch's media podcast, um, they were talking about I forget who he had on, but they were saying that the World Cup ratings in the U.S. are down about forty percent. It was anywhere between thirty and forty percent overall. Obviously, part of that is because the men's national team, the U.S. team, was not in this World Cup. But I, I think overall, in terms of coverage and everything, I think Fox has done a, a good enough job. Uh, has it been perfect? Has it been as polished as ESPN had been? Maybe not so much, but I think uh, this was a good first run for them, at least thus far. And it gives me a lot of confidence for them going forward in that 2022 World Cup. Um, I think overall, things are, things are going okay, and it, it has been a very interesting World Cup, if nothing else. Yeah, it's been very enjoyable, and... and while we think there's a lot of chalk to follow in this round of 16, things are definitely going to heat up once you hit the quarterfinal stage. We'll be here for it. And, uh, of course, make sure that you follow us on Twitter because uh, I'm sure that we are going to be insufferable, especially as uh, 
Uruguay, Portugal play and France and Argentina play. I'm sure that that's going to be a back and forth. I, I think that, uh, uh, one of the things that I have learned in all of these podcasts and in, in all of the interactions we have is for however big our audience is, it seems like the amount of people who interact with us uh, during match days is uh, pretty high, which is nice to see. So if, you, uh, if you're if you on Twitter, make sure you follow us. Uh, that's Phil at Phil Kydell. Spell it out for them, Phil. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kydell. Boom. And, uh, of course, I'm Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad. Uh, pretty simple as well. Follow us. Uh, let's go back and forth. Let's uh, boost this thing up. We are working, I think, on trying to figure out a way, maybe as we get farther in this tournament, to try to get people together for some sort of a watch party. We're not sure yet. There's a possibility. If you're interested in such things, uh, let us know on Twitter, and uh, that'll give us at least a little bit of an idea. And, of course, go on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review that we will read on the show. And uh, until the next uh, show, which the games are over, Knockout Stage ends on Tuesday. Tuesday. So I'm assuming we'll put out a show on Wednesday would be my guess. We'll have two days until um, Friday the 6th. That is when the quarterfinals start up. We'll release another show uh, one of those days. So make sure if you haven't done so already, find on your podcast app the uh, subscribe button. Subscribe to the show. Let a friend know. Let everyone know about Crossing Broad FC. Phil, it's been a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.